Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined by EJ Snyder, Windy City Gridiron's lead draft analyst. How you doing today, EJ? I'm good. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for the beer. I'm excited for the topic. So I've been waiting for this for a while. I know you have too. Um, we got a chance to see. We got a chance to see the subject of this podcast at, at training camp uh, about a week ago, and and now we're ready to talk about it. And I'm, it's just time. I'm ready. <laughs> yes, this is the last of our positional previews, and this episode is all about Mitchell Trubisky. We're not going to talk much at all, or if any, about Chase Daniels. So uh, for those of you that were looking for that content, you'll have to find it elsewhere, because we are just diving in deep on Mitchell Trubisky. But we are, of course, going to need some beers to get us through this conversation. And so you have a pretty special one that you were uncorking earlier. So why don't you start off with your beer choice today? I am thrilled for this beer and i can't say that about a lot of beers uh this is from a a place down in bend oregon called the crux fermentation project that's c-r-u-x and they make very special beers and i found this beer in may i remember i texted you about it because i found it when i was looking for another beer and the first thing that caught my my eye was the name and it's perfect for this episode i've been saving and it's called in the pocket which is perfect amazing yep and it comes from their 2019 Banished series. And the Banished series is, uh, it says, it was for their own good. Beers in this special series are banished for months in oak barrels, allowing flavors to mature, meld, and mellow. Uh, you can store in a dark place at a certain temperature for one to three years to allow it to sort of age further. But this is an Imperial Saison aged in Northwest red wine barrels. So... It's pretty interesting. It's pretty heavy. Being an Imperial, it's 9.9 alcohol by volume. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's the real deal. You smell this, and it's, um, it's impressive as an Imperial, but you can definitely smell that red wine aging. So I have no idea how it's going to taste. I really like Crux's offerings because they put a lot of thought and creativity into them. Um, some you definitely have an opinion about them. So they're a bit like Mitchell Trubisky that way too. Um, <laughs> you either really like them or you really don't, but uh, you're definitely going to have an opinion. I don't think I've ever had a Crux beer that I kind of sipped on and went, well, that's all right. Like that's just not the, the emotions they bring up. So I'm super excited for the beer. What do you have? Well, like you, I have been saving this for a little while and I saw this and I, I just had to get it. First of all, it's from Ballast Point, which is one of my favorite breweries out of San Diego. They make a lot of good stuff. And not being an IPA guy, I always pass on those Sculpin beers, which they always uh, intrigue me, but I'm not an IPA guy. However, we are breaking big ground here. Bum, bum, bum. I picked up a beer called Passing Haze. It is a (laughs) hazy IPA from Ballast Point, but I could not resist that name. And when I really thought about it, something with a bitter aftertaste was really how I felt when the Bears traded up for Mitchell Trubisky uh, uh, during that draft. And so I feel appropriate to force myself to drink something that I was I am not comfortable with. And I'll tell a little story. The one and only time that I have done a Chicago radio spot was before this draft. I think you were unavailable, Lester was unavailable, and I filled in. And they asked me who I thought the Bears were going to draft, and I said, Jamal Adams. And they asked me directly about a quarterback, and I said, that's nonsense. They're not going to draft a quarterback. (laughs) So 
I think I blew my one and only radio Chicago uh, Chicago radio uh, opportunity. So anyway, um, I'm going to drink this IPA and we will see just how bitter it is. But it's a hazy IPA, so I might be okay. But um, passing I think haze, be fine. Yeah, no, hazies are definitely a little bit less bitey on the back end. Um, yeah, we're gonna hear Jeff opening his. I luckily opened mine beforehand because not only did it have a wax covered top. Um, once I opened the wax covered top, it had a cork in it, um, much like a bottle of red wine. So I was, uh, lucky to remove that beforehand, but I've poured it out and it's breathed a little, um, it's got a, a very golden color. I would say it's not, uh, not dark, um, uh, but yeah, nice yellowy golden color. Not much head at all, uh, in terms of, um, carbonation, but I'm going to take a sip and see where we're at here. Well, I don't even think this beer looks that hazy. That's kind of weird. Anyway, all right. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a thing. We'll talk about You're going to have a strong opinion? I have a strong opinion already. I don't think there's a way to drink that that beer and, and not have a strong opinion. Um, it is a strong beer for sure. Strong flavors, strong in alcohol content, strong in, in the nose and the smell. When you put it up under your nose, you definitely you definitely feel it coming. Um yeah, having aged in the bottle a little bit, it was, uh, let's see, it was, uh, they give a time when it was bottled here. It was bottled in um, April, so it's been in there since April, and, and yeah, it was in the in the wine barrels before that, and you can definitely pick up that flavor. I, actually, you don't have to pick it up at all. It, it picks you up. So, yeah, that's something. All right, well, we'll drink the rest of it while we talk about this, because this is going to be a lot of fun. I might be drinking more water than beer. <clears throat> that uh, definitely has a bitter aftertaste. Okay, <laughs> so I we started this podcast together at the beginning of the year. So we have not been around long enough to have made comments uh, on a podcast about this uh, particular player from the beginning. So I want to go all the way back to the start. And to the start is with Ryan Pace and John Fox. So I, this is my opinion. I want to start off with an opinion. I think Ryan Pace knew he wanted to move on from John Fox at the end of 2016, but Fox had two years left on his deal. And I assume that he had some off-the-record conversations with Bears ownership and Bears brass, and he was told, no, 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 we're not going to pay a guy the two years of a contract. You're going to need to keep him for one more. And I have to believe that Pace was frustrated when he couldn't land free agents like A.J. Bouye, who decided to take less money to sign in Jacksonville. And I think he's got to be thinking, like, if John Fox can't attract a defensive player like A.J. Bouye to come and play on this defense, what are we doing? And so I, I, take you back to that free agent class, E.J. Mm-hmm. Pace handed out some pretty tough deals uh, that season. Marcus Wheaton, Deion Sims, Kendall Wright, who wasn't terrible. Marcus Cooper, who... Mm, uh, one of my mortal enemies, uh, Quentin Demps. And let's give him credit. Uh, Prince of Mukamura was one of the guys that he signed that offseason. I think that one's worked out quite well, led to another contract. He's been a very good player for this team. But he's the only one left out of that free agent class. I think Pace, at the time, had to be frustrated with that haul. I think he realized that he needed something for free agents to get excited about. And I think the obvious answer is that he needed a quarterback and a coach. Uh, But I want to focus on the stopgap contract that he handed out, uh, which was the biggest free agent signing disaster of all. And that was Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon, the ginger giraffe, as 
he was somewhat affectionately called, uh, <laughs> signed a three-year, $45 million contract. Brian Hoyer, who had just finished the season in a Chicago Bears uniform, already in-house, already familiar with the system for whatever that's worth, left to sign a very modest backup deal elsewhere. Glennon was cut after one year. He made four starts, pocketed $18.5 million of the Bears' money. Here's the thing. This one never made sense to me. It never made sense why you would go after a guy with Mike Glennon's resume. Um, I think the problem is twofold. One, sign Brian Hoyer to be your stopgap if that's what you want. He's in the building. He's running the system. Like He's not exciting, but at least you know what you have there. Two, the opportunity cost of spending money on Glennon costs the Bears the ability to sign another player. That $18 million, it's a lot of money in free agent money to be able to get somebody that can help you out on that team. And even if you didn't want to spend it with the rules of salary cap, you can roll that into the next season when you had your roster a little bit more competitive and ready to go. It was just it was stupid. I, I, so we've never talked about this. Uh, at least in length, what was your opinion on what happened, what Pace was going through, and the whole Mike Glennon fiasco? Well, it certainly paints a much different picture of the franchise than where we're at now, and I think that's actually really useful. I think it's very good for fans to remember when they're staring at Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack and, you know, heck, Mitch Trubisky, Roquan Smith, um, all these guys, Eddie Jackson, and look back and say, what was in hand at the time and what did Ryan Pace have to do to try and, you know, put out the end of the dumpster fire and rebuild the Bears? And the bottom line was he had to overpay and that that entire offseason really reeked of desperation. Um, Quentin Demps, uh, aside from his injuries, may have been uh, a midline signing. Amukamara was uh, a risk. He's turned out, but he very easily could have stayed injured and missed a lot of starts and been run out of Chicago uh, before another contract. So he's the one guy that's actually panned out. Everybody else you mentioned always felt like we have to get somebody, right? The receivers, especially. Yep. Cooper was uh, unproven, but again, the outside cornerback depth was, was pretty barren. Uh, at that point besides Fuller and Fuller was not a sure thing in those days um, you just have to remember where they were and it's so different than where the Bears are now that it's good to remember that that was the stage and he was doing the best he could and and look John Fox was not a draw he stabilized the franchise and I'll give him credit for that because the, the dumpster fire before him with Tressman and Emery uh, was hard to put out and there was a lot of stink around the Bears they were the biggest laughing stock in the NFL I think everybody knew they didn't know what they were doing Ryan Pace is hired to come in he hires John Fox John Fox stabilizes the culture um, establishes a little bit of defensive presence which the Bears were giving up 50 burgers before that which was absolutely yeah. untenable for the fan base it's used to playing hard-nosed defense so the whole offseason really reeked of we've got to get somebody and nobody wanted to come it was obvious like you said Bouvier took less money to go elsewhere it, it just wasn't an attractive destination everybody else knew what we knew which is the Bears don't have anything going right now they don't have their quarterback of the future John Fox is on a fairly short leash uh, I think a lot of people thought what you thought, which is Ryan Pace has got designs on getting his own coach and John Fox is not necessarily him. So why am I going to sign up for two or three years when things are going to change pretty drastically next year? That was really obvious. Nobody wanted to come and they had to overpay for who they got. And that's how it felt. The Glennon thing in particular, 
the thing that irked me about Glennon, I thought Glennon would be better than he was. Now, that's not saying I thought he'd be great, but I thought he'd be up to the kind of Brian Hoyer replacement level. Um, the thing that irked me is all of a sudden there was this escalation in the salary uh, negotiations right at the end, and they weren't bidding against anybody. They were bidding right. against themselves, and I think they probably could have brought Mike Glennon in the door for eight, nine, ten million dollars, and instead it's you know fifteen or eighteen or whatever the hell it is. And it's like, why did you do that? Why did you you know time and a half the money when you didn't need to? And then of course Glennon comes in, and I I think he was set up in a way that there was no way he was going to succeed. He was never going to be great, but he didn't even. Like, his first start was disastrous. Like, the first opinion of Mike Lennon on the field was, whoops. And yes. I just don't think there was anything to come back from for that. Now, having been set up with the money, having had all the hopes pinned on him because there really wasn't anybody else, Brian Hoyer left, and, you know, there, the stable was pretty empty. There was no great young star or even somebody you could root for, really, in the, in the wings in terms of quarterbacking. Um, he was it. All the focus was on him, and he came out and laid a huge egg. The money on top of that, it's just one thing to another. It snowballed, and it got gross from there. Yeah, you said desperation. I think that was that was the right word, and I think a lot of people were giving Pace a hard time about, like, oh, my God, look at this, uh, Marcus Wheaton. And it's like, well, yeah, but I don't think he thought much of Marcus Wheaton either. I just think that he was trying to get people in the door because he was trying to lay, raise his team to a level of competency. But I do you buy the idea that he was probably looking to move on uh, from Fox, but probably couldn't at the time because of the two years left on the deal. I don't know about couldn't, but was he looking to move on from Fox? Yes. I think he knew if he was going to take the franchise where he wants to take it. And, and Ryan Pace has said since day one, and I think it's believable with a guy like Ryan Pace, look, we're here to win championships. And he knew he wasn't going to win a championship with John Fox, who, Quite frankly, the game had clearly passed by in a lot of ways, and he could be solid, but he was never going to excel. He was never going to out-scheme a guy like McVeigh or, or, you know, Doug Peterson or any other number of folks that were sort of pushing the envelope offensively. John Fox was not going to be that guy. He was not going to hand uh, the baton to a rookie um, and look the Bears needed... Um, quite frankly a rookie they needed a bunch of rookies they needed new talent in the door and he was going to go with what he knew and what he knew was you know five to ten years ago and in the nfl that's a long time so he's going to run the ball um the nfl was quickly becoming a pass first league and john fox was never going to do that so ryan pace probably knew that he wanted to go on uh but whether or not he could or couldn't and whether that was money based i don't know uh, I'm I'm not really going to speculate, but do I think that Ryan Pace wanted to sort of give John Fox another piece of rope? My guess is, nah, he would have rather ripped the Band-Aid off and gone with the young coach at that point. Um, in hindsight, the silver lining is he had to wait. Uh, a young coach developed for another year, which is integral to this whole story, and we'll get to that. But um, yeah, I buy that he wanted to move on. Why he could or couldn't, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I have it on pretty good authority that uh, he was moving on from him at the draft. And I'll maybe get into that in a little bit. But first, I want to go back to your scouting report. And so free agency brings in Mike Lennon. Lead up to the draft, Bears have the number three pick. You did some work on quarterbacks. You wrote for that on when he said a gridiron. 
and then I want you to go through that scouting report, and then I want you to talk about the call. The EJ uh, yes. call. The EJ call. Um, probably the reason I'm on this podcast or still on the website or going to training camp or anything has a lot to do with this call. So uh, it's good to talk about. Um, I was writing a column for Windy City called Draft Watch. It was a weekly column. Um, I had started grouping players together because long-form articles don't get a lot of readership, so I'd started to group players together to try and pull in a few more readers. And the week before had been Deshaun Watson and uh, Deshaun Kaiser, and I had three quarterbacks left that I wanted to talk about, and those quarterbacks were Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, and Brad Kaya. So they ended up in an article that I wrote on February 16th. I only know that because I'm staring at it. And I started off with Mitch Trubisky, who's the first... Um, prospect that I wrote up in this article and I'd been really impressed by Trubisky's tape he wasn't a huge name if folks remember he was a single year starter at University of North Carolina Um, he wasn't a guy that came in with a ton of buzz guys like Deshaun Kaiser going to a big school at Notre Dame had been talked about for a couple of years Um, Deshaun Watson at Clemson certainly playing in the SEC and and competing for national championships Uh, they were much higher profile than Trubisky Trubisky was a bit of a dark horse Uh, I wrote him up first, and uh, the first sentence I wrote about Mitch Trubisky was, let's just get this out of the way up front. If you want a QB in the 2017 draft, you want Mitch Trubisky. He checks all the big boxes in bold marker, and he does the little things well, too. Um, That will help him survive and thrive while he learns at the next level. Uh, I felt that strongly after his tape. I was one of the few... um, I hoped the Bears would draft him, but that seemed like uh, an impossible dream, like you said, Jamal Adams, and and, uh, a lot of people were saying Deshaun Watson, a lot of other Bears folks were saying Deshaun Watson was the pick. Um, I really believe strongly in in Mitch for a lot of reasons, which we can get into in a bit, but the call you're talking about came in the next line, which I uh, actually, come draft time, had completely forgotten about. And when the Bears traded up, Uh, My heart went up in my throat, and I thought, well, they're picking a quarterback. There's no reason to trade up if you're not picking a quarterback. And I thought it was Watson, um, even though that wasn't my choice. And they picked Trubisky, and it was the oddest feeling I can remember in a long time. Uh, I was celebrating quietly to myself. Um, I was thrilled beyond belief, and I knew that Chicago was, the Chicago sports scene was basically aflame, you know, a traded up for a one-year starter, rah, 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 rah. So it was a very odd thing, and I actually wrote uh, an article that night to kind of keep the fires and the pillaging to a minimum and said, hey, it's okay, here's the reasons that this is fine. Um, but the next line is the line I wrote that um, Lester Wilfong, our editor at Windy City Gridiron, posted on Twitter um, right after he got picked and said, did our draft analyst DJ Snyder just say this? And in February, I wrote, my biggest fear with Mitch is that he won't be around for the Bears to pick at number three overall. If that were the case, would I advocate Chicago trading up a spot to number two as Miles Garrett will likely go number one to get him? Question mark. I would. He's that good. <laughs> and that was there it. it is that was it and that opened the dike like i ended up on a ton of radio shows and and not podcasts at the point because i really wasn't podcasting but I had a lot of people reach out to me and say a lot of people follow me and say you know what kind of 
Nostradamus or you? How did you know? I didn't know. I hoped. Um, and I'm very happy that they picked Trubisky. Uh, but that was the article. I talked about some things that I really liked about Mitch. Um, his accuracy, that he has a really good arm, um, that his legs work very well. He makes solid and quick decisions. He was quick with the ball at North Carolina in the one season that he did start. Um, he had a good command of the huddle. He fully understood. He had a great offense at North Carolina. A lot of people forget that, that four of his five skill players got drafted and one went as an undrafted free agent. So all five of the guys, both running backs and three wide receivers, um, ended up getting picked and heading to the NFL. So he had a great offense, but he distributed the ball really, really well. So um, I liked a lot of things about him. The most important was that he was decisive. He had poison leadership and he had a ton of accuracy. I really liked the accuracy. He had a above average arm, not a great arm, but plenty of arm for the NFL. Um, and that his, his running was very underrated. And as a young quarterback who was learning the NFL and learning, you know, whatever system he went to was going to be new, he was going to have to run and, and he could run. So I, I really like Mitch and his potential to grow, but like all quarterbacks, including all the quarterbacks we're talking about, it really depends on where they land, what kind of system they have, and whether or not they have people that are interested in developing players or just having them perform right off. And that makes a huge difference. And it's impossible to have the conversation we're about to have without factoring that in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got to talk about the compensation and why I was so bitter when this happened. Because I was watching this with a friend, happens to be a Vikings fan, and bears trade up and I'm like you've got to be bleeping kidding me because <laughs> I knew it was a quarterback as well and sure. so then I'm like okay well I was totally wrong now I feel silly because I just went on Chicago radio and said no we're not going to draft a quarterback we're going to we're, we're going to draft a defensive player here's the quarterback okay it's going to be Deshaun Watson okay I think I can live with that and then it was Trubisky and I'm like are you kidding me okay so here let's go through it bears traded number three overall a third rounder, number 67 overall, and a fourth rounder, 111 overall, to trade up one spot. I hate trading up one spot. From a valuation standpoint, when you uh, you know assign the pick to a point value system, there's different charts out there. Uh, it was a fair deal. So from that perspective, when someone says, oh, you know, the 49ers fleece the Bears on that. Well, well, no, like not from a valuation standpoint. <laughs> How does that look now? <laughs> well, well and I'm going to get to that. Sure. So um, so just, just from the, the point value of the picks, it pans out. It's, it's acceptable to both, both parties. Fine. Okay. Another point I want to make. Whatever the 49ers did with those picks is irrelevant. Mm. If I give you, EJ, if I give you six $20 bills in exchange for one $100 bill, mm -hmm. it's a dumb deal for me, okay? It doesn't sure. suddenly make it a great deal if you light those 20s on fire, which is essentially what the 49ers did with those picks. I understand that. Mm -hmm. What another team does with the capital that you give up, it's irrelevant. It's a really silly way of looking at draft pick trades. It's a really silly way of trying to keep score. I do not like that narrative. I've seen a lot of people try to make it to say, well, the 49ers did this with those picks. How dumb are they now? And I think that's just more of a reaction that Bears fans have because they get so much flack for the trade, for, for trading up and say, well, geez, look at the 49ers. Aren't they stupid with what they did? Yeah, they are. But that doesn't actually really matter in the grand scheme of things. So I don't really love that argument. It's irrelevant what they did with that capital. So here's, here's what I have a problem with. 
Ryan Pace is saying that with that pick, that Trubisky is so far above Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes that you're willing to forego the opportunity of using your third and fourth round draft picks, a spot in the draft that you're particularly good at finding talent. Ryan Pace is incredible in those mid-rounds. To continue to build your team, to stock your team that is in desperate need of talent. That's what you're saying with that trade, is that you think Trubisky is so far above those other two prospects that you can't afford to lose him, and you're willing to give up two somewhat premium picks that can turn into contributors because you don't you don't believe in those other two guys. That third rounder eventually became Alvin Kamara. I know that's just kind of more of a fun footnote. Uh, but again, that's a fantastic back who would have been a great fit in this offense. I have an issue with the decision-making to give up assets and your evaluation because you feared the risk of losing Trubisky when there were two other quarterbacks still on the board that I think had at least somewhat similar evaluations from most of the public. Um, what tells me is that Pace didn't like those other two guys. He wasn't willing to stake his job on them. Okay, I guess I get that. But at the cost of two potentially helpful other pieces – uh, you know, he chose to secure a quarterback with 13 collegiate starts from a traditionally weak program. To me, that was a tough, tough beat. And that's why I was so bitter <laughs> after that pick. Sure. I get it. I mean, I, f- I follow the logic, but, uh, you know, you and I see that differently and that's okay. Um, it's a little bit of two sides of you know, calling both sides of the coin. If you say it doesn't matter what the 49ers did with their picks that they got, but it does matter the picks that he gave up that he didn't use, you know, yes, he's typically good at that, but he's, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of both sides of, of the get. Now, I don't know that it is. Well, I, I understand that you think differently about that. It's when you start playing the game in the draft and it is a game of, Hey, this guy turned into Alvin Kamara and this guy was on the board when we could have picked that. And, and, and the, basically it's a, it's a chain of events. It's the whole butterfly thing. I flap my wings at the beginning of the first round and everything under that changes. After that, everything is different because I've traded those picks. It doesn't happen. And, and the what ifs, uh, the what ifs will kill you in the draft. And it's both for positives and negatives. Um, there are as many, I could tell as many of these stories as, as we have time for. And, you know, it's one of those things. The bottom line is for whatever reason, Pace said, I want this guy and not those guys. And a lot of people didn't agree with that for exactly the reasons you're talking about. He was not the leader in the clubhouse. He didn't come from the highest profile program. He definitely did not have the most starts. If you were looking at current polish, like when he was drafted, no, he was not as polished as Sean Watson. Um, in many ways, he was more polished than Mahomes, but a lot of people aren't willing to admit that because they they gravitated towards other things that Mahomes can do, and we can talk about that. Um, but if you're looking at it fairly, uh, it, Watson was a more polished product at the time that they were drafted, and Mahomes was a less polished product. Um, but you know, again, people wanna people wanna flip the script and say, look at what Mahomes is now. We should have got that back then, and that's not possible. That's where the narrative breaks. I think you're one hundred percent accurate on that. I think my point is that what someone else does with those picks is irrelevant because you're not decision making for those teams. You know, if you would have traded with a different team that would have better decision makers in the room, those picks turn into better picks, fine, but it doesn't matter. That's that shouldn't be part of your evaluation. It should be more about where you're at in the building process. And 
you had three quarterbacks on the board. I agree with you. Mahomes had the least amount of polish at the time. Uh, Watson had the most. Um, I think that's why, you know, certainly Lester and others on the site were really pushing for uh, for Watson at the time. Mm-hmm. I, uh, if we were going to take a quarterback, that's who I was into. Uh, so I think that's just where I'm at. But okay, like we'll we'll agree to disagree. And, and you sure. made your amazing call, and I made the worst call ever of my life. So, so <laughs> I really think that I, I hope for your sake that that was the worst call you've ever made, because if that's the case, you did great. <laughs> I was so off. I mean, I love, I, 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 know, I mean, I love but, Adams as a player and no, I think he's, he's done really well, Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I was just so off on what he was going to do. I feel like normally I've got a fairly good idea, but he mm. really, tricked me i Uh, i did it this way you know i did it this year i was sure that that naggy and pace wanted a back that had explosion that had big play explosion for some well for multiple reasons i thought that that was the thing that they felt like they were missing um and they really wanted a home run hitter uh who was more of an every down back than Tariq Cohen because Tariq Cohen's a home run hitter it's not that they lack that but he's not necessarily a guy you're going to line up for you know 250 carries out of the backfield um so that's what i thought they wanted and i ended up focusing in on that and the bottom line it was they they kind of wanted something in the middle and it was a guy that we thought wasn't going to be available in david montgomery but i was i really was like nope the bears should be going after darrell henderson and the bottom line is hey montgomery was available later than everybody thought he was and they wanted something uh that i didn't necessarily think they wanted and it's trust me i know the feeling well, let's let's talk about Trubisky's first year. So Trubisky under Fox, he was f- uh, four and eight as a starter. Took yeah. over in week five for an ineffective Mike Glennon. Fifty nine percent completion percentage coming out of the gate. Uh, Twenty one hundred ninety three yards, a seven touchdown, seven interception uh, year for him. I think it's uh, you know I think he flashed. Uh, at times, uh, and, and I think he wasn't a total disaster. I think that was kind of what I was looking for for a guy with such little collegiate experience. I just kind of wanted to see what his command of the huddle looked like. You know, could he make the throws? Uh, his learning curve was so huge. I wasn't expecting really any command. Um, I do have it going to camp has its advantages, guys. I, I, I have it on really good authority that the entirety of John Fox's staff was completely in on Watson. And they found out two hours before the draft that they were going to take Trubisky. And I think from the start, that was obviously never going to be a plan that worked to have Fox and his staff work with Trubisky because they weren't in on him. Um, And I think they did try to protect him throughout the year there was that game against carolina where he threw seven passes i think that's what john fox would have liked to done like to have done the whole year mm-hmm. <laughs> um what did you did you buy into the narrative that he could build a lot of poor habits under fox uh, was it a bad idea to 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 pair those two at the time or was it just like we're just going to get through this year see what the kid has whatever experience is good and we'll roll into the next year I think it's a little bit of both. I think the experience is always valuable. Even if it's bad experience, you realize what you don't want to do. Um, so from that point, in, in kind of very much the silver lining piece of that, it was okay, but it was pretty horrible. Let's talk about his offensive coordinator, right? Dahl Loggins. Um, not 
exactly a guy that's lighting it up since his stint with the Bears. I think he was handcuffed in what he could do with John Fox. And now you have a quarterback the coach didn't want. An offensive coordinator who can't do what he wants because the head coach is saying, don't you dare let this guy loose. Um, because if he loses me the game, I'm going to can you probably. Um, I don't have that on any authority, but I can certainly imagine the sort of stern conversation that Fox had with Loggins in terms of their NFL tenure. Um, and he was like, do as I say. And Loggins is not a great teacher in the first place. And he gets a student who needs a lot of teaching and he can't really teach him because he can't let him loose and, and have him make some decisions and say, okay, you did well here. You did poorly there. It's simply put the handcuffs on him. Like you said, limit the losses, have him out there, let him run around a little bit. Um, he'll get an idea of what protections and the speed of the NFL is like, but that's, that's pretty minimal learning in the first year. And, and to be completely fair, let's go to the guy that links the two of these quarterbacks, right? Who's, who's the guy that links Mahomes and Trubisky inexorably? They can, you can never take this apart, right? Absolutely. It's Matt Nagy. It's, it's Matt Nagy, right? Matt Nagy's first year uh, with Patrick Mahomes is very different. He's got Andy Reid over him. He's saying, you know, coach the kid up. We're going we're gonna to sit him for a while, but, you know, get this guy ready. He's the future of the franchise. There's no doubt about it. They were never going to, you know, not play Mahomes for Alex Smith, um, but they were going to get Mahomes ready. And in large part, that was up to Matt Nagy, um, according to Nagy. And I believe him. So here's a guy who says, look, and my, it's funny because my scouting report about Mahomes, which is in the same article, uh, which I'll post on the Bears Over Beer Twitter site, um, you know, Mahomes comes next and says Mahomes is a streetball legend, right? Uh, and he is, he's a guy that, um, I think Robert Schmitz and I had this conversation and he said, I think Mahomes is a guy who they, who Andy Reid sat down with and said, okay, to two Mississippi, you do what I say. And after that, if you don't see anything, you do whatever you can do because you're good at that and I don't want to take that out of you. But to two Mississippi, right, you have to be disciplined. You have to do what right. I say. You have to go through the reads. You have to stay in the pocket. You have to do all those things. And after two seconds, if you don't see anything developing, fine, let it loose. Do the thing you do, which is scramble around, dodge a couple defenders and throw a no-look pass about 70 yards off your back foot to win the game. You don't want to take that out of a guy, but also it was Matt Nagy's charge to say, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do start to finish for the two Mississippi and you do as I say. And he shaped Mahomes. He brought all that raw talent and, and crazy undisciplined play into an NFL player that could do a three and five step drop and deliver the ball on time. And Mahomes is now good at that. When he left Texas tech, he was not good at that. So having Matt Nagy the first year was huge for Mahomes. Nagy moves on. Mahomes goes on to have basically an MVP year. And, you know, and that's, it's a very interesting thing. What would Trubisky's track would, would have been like? And I think we'll see that this year. This is his second year as if he'd had Nagy his first year. So, you know, it's an interesting study, if nothing else. Yeah, 100%. So Pace's plan, as you talked about, he brings in Matt Nagy, who's the perfect guy to bring in to help Mitchell Trubisky. But then now he's got the quarterback and now he's got the coach that gives a little excitement to free agency. So he goes into free agency and he's able to land Taylor Gabriel, Allen Robinson, the second Trey Burton and drafts James Daniels to help shore up that offensive line and the ultra competitive Anthony Miller. 
So really remarkable in how he was able to remake all of the weapons around him and put a play caller in place that can scheme open throws for a young quarterback. So uh, just gigantic difference in those free agencies and how interested guys were to come. Allen Robinson is a premier wide receiver one and signed right away. He wanted to be here and for a good deal. It'd be a good deal for him, obviously, but also just it wasn't completely crazy or over market or anything. Like guys were excited to come and sign. When they, we signed Trey Burton, people were like, well, yeah, of course. Of course we signed Trey Burton. He's the perfect fit for this offense. Of course we got him. But <laughs> like, remember last year when we couldn't get anybody to come into yeah, the Yeah, when we were begging and throwing burning piles of cash at people and they were just dodging them saying, nah, nah, I don't need it. No thanks. It is a, it is a tremendously different stance right that and you see the same thing in udfa and i know a lot of people don't care about the udfa process but the year before they were making the calls and i was saying why aren't they getting this guy and the bottom line is look they probably called that guy first and he said uh my agent says that's not such a good idea right you don't know what you're doing you don't have a quarterback i don't know what it's like i don't know what the competition's going to be like i'm going to go somewhere else i might even sign for less money uh udfa this year especially after Nagy's first year like we get Alex Bars, we get Emmanuel Hall, we get top rated undrafted free agents, and they sign immediately. They were they were signed within hours, like two to three hours. Those guys were bears, and that's such a stark contrast from beating the bushes and waiting two or three days and getting sort of the second and third tier stuff. Uh, it just it's a ripple through the organization, and it is so amazingly different than where Pace started that it's worth taking a moment, taking a breath and saying, damn. I mean, I, <laughs> I stood in front of that man at training camp as he walked up and down the line. I watched him sign autographs. I didn't have anything to say to him. I just looked at him and look, Ryan Pace is one of the coolest, best looking guys. And I'm good completely confident saying that he knows he's in a great spot and it's because he's done a lot of hard work. So it's absolutely the case that, from year one to year three of Ryan Pace is so starkly different. And you can see that in the excitement of the fans, in the attendance at training camp, in season ticket sales, in all the expectations of national media for the Bears. It is absolutely a sea change one side to the other. Well, let's talk about that club dub effect that you're referring to. So year two for Trubisky, massive improvement over year one in a lot of ways. 11-3 and three as a starter. He compiled 3,223 yards. He threw for 24 touchdowns. He did throw 12 picks, which is a lot. Uh, he missed a lot of throws that I think would have really pumped up those touchdown stats, uh, particularly to Anthony Miller. For some reason, just uh, overthrew him quite a bit last year. Um, also made some incredibly nice plays with his legs, added 421 yards on the ground and an additional three scores. Uh, really a very good runner. One of the best uh, quarterback quarterback running running quarterbacks in the league and that's really saying something because there's a lot of those guys in the league right now but he's right up there with russell wilson and cam like he really is he's that impressive with his efficiency and how explosive he can be once he takes off he's a true runner he honestly i think he could be a running back if if he didn't have a good arm i think his numbers uh certainly would have been bigger uh if he wouldn't have gotten hurt those two games, and I think when he came back, he was he just looked really rusty, and they they seemed to kind of change their 
uh, template a little bit once he had that bum shoulder and either lost the feel a little bit or maybe the play calling changed or something. But those those numbers are really dampened um, from what, what they could have been. I think uh, one of the interesting things about Trubisky's 2018 was his splits by quarter. We've talked about this a little bit, uh, but he seemed to start off the game really well when things were scripted out and rehearsed. Uh, he then played well down the down in the crunch time late in games, as evidenced by the playoff performance against the Eagles. Um, however, I think in between, he seemed to make a lot of mental mistakes. I don't really know what that is, and we talked about that. Is that Nagy maybe needing to be better as a play caller? Is that just Mitchell having too much time to think and needs to you know just react a little more? I don't know what that is, but it's it's something that is, will be interesting to to keep track of if he's able to uh, you know be strong in the middle quarters and blow some teams out rather than keep teams around. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about mechanically. Um, talked about this a little bit. His issues mechanically last year uh, led to a lot of poor throws down the field. His deep accuracy wasn't great. Uh, I think they're uh, you generally, mechanically speaking, the further downfield you throw, those things are magnified. And so I'm curious if you think you saw anything cleaned up when we went to camp. Um, and I just have a note here that you know Trubisky just doesn't have a ton of experience. So it shouldn't be that hard to unlearn bad habits because he just doesn't have a ton of starting experience. So we still do have a moldable piece of clay here. So threw a lot at you there, but what, what have you seen? Uh, what did you see in year two? What did you see in camp that makes you feel good or, or do you still have reservations? Well, let's start with year two. Year two was very much different than year one. He had a competent play caller. He had a learning play caller, and I think that's important to remember for that sort of middle quarter luff, we'll call it, second, third quarters, because some of that's on him, but some of that's on Nagy. Nagy would tend to sort of drift away from game plan in certain... He would get a little cute in the middle quarters, um, and I don't think his play calling was near as tight as his scripted play calling. And I don't think uh, Mitchell kind of cranked it up like he did in the fourth quarter as much. So it's a, it's a little bit of 50-50 ball there. It's it's some on Nagy, who will be better as a play caller. And it's some on Trubisky, who will be better as a quarterback. So I think that the combination is we'll see that gap or that luff lesson. Will it still be there? think it will will it be as pronounced or as long i don't think it will so in a lot of ways in a lot of fans eyes it could disappear a bit now mechanically you asked about you know deep ball accuracy i don't know that trubisky's ever going to be a really really dialed deep ball thrower that being said i don't think there's that many dialed deep ball throwers in the nfl now mm. there are a lot of guys that can throw really far and there's a lot right. of receivers that adjust really well to the ball and the bears have some of those now so that'll help um but when you watch other throws and this was um i guess this was brought more clearly to the fore in my attention when um, robert schmitz and i one night when we were at camp we were watching the afc championship game we we're watching the patriot the patriots versus the chiefs and both guys, Mahomes and Brady, made throws that if Trubisky made them in a playoff game, he would be crucified for. Um, if you remember, and I didn't remember until rewatching it, Brady had a terrible interception from like the seven-yard line. W would have been a score. He threw a pick in the end zone. It was a terrible decision. 
it was just bad, right? But he's the GOAT, so nobody calls him on it, right? If Trubisky makes that throw, I don't know if he ever recovers. He probably gets run out of Chicago. Same thing with deep ball throws. I see a lot of throws from camp. Uh, I saw a throw, uh, not to pick on the Vikings, but I saw a throw from Vikings camp a couple days ago, Kirk Cousins, and it's like, oh, Vikings deep ball. On oh, point, that was bad. Right? And he, yeah. Cousins heaves it. I mean, flat out, sees a guy open and heaves it. It's way short. Receiver has to stop, literally stop running his route, jump up, and he beats two cornerbacks in a jump ball uh, for like a 25-yard gain. And they're saying, oh, deep ball on point. And I'm like, that was a terrible throw. That was not a back shoulder throw. That was not supposed to be that short. That's an awful throw. If Trubisky makes that throw, Bears Twitter unloads on him in camp, right? So what I saw in camp from Trubisky that was impressive was his mechanics were tighter. Uh, by that, I mean his stride was shorter. He was very crisp with the ball. He was always good in the short to medium areas, but he was so locked in, especially on day one and part of day two, where in the short to medium throws, every throw was on time, every throw was out quickly, and every throw was accurate in that short to medium distance, anything up to about 15 yards. Um, and really anything on crosses, hooks, curls, anything like that, he was absolutely automatic. The ball came out very, very quickly, and it was right where it needed to be. Now, the throw that he didn't make that has garnered a lot of attention from camp that maybe has garnered more attention than it should is the deep lob, not the deep cross. If it was a deep cross, he was hitting guys in the numbers, on the chest, in stride so they could run, and that's really important for yards after catch. The one that he wasn't hitting consistently and was typically a little bit short on causing guys to sort of pull up and have to jump for it was the over the shoulder lob the nine route or the deep corner sort of fade down the down the sideline a lot of air under the ball trying to lead the receiver now that's the throw he wasn't hitting and that's you know in the nfl a lot of people think that's a money throw the bottom line is you make three or four of those throws a game and they can be very big throws they can be touchdowns they can be long first downs but Honestly, those are three or four throws a game. You don't have that many open, deep nine routes down the sideline. It just doesn't happen all that often. But there's a lot of scrutiny on that ball, and it wasn't that he was throwing terribly wild in the dirt five yards past the guy. That was never the case. The ball was always in play for the receiver, certainly more in play than Cousins' ball that I saw on the Vikings tape. But it was a little short. It was causing people to have to break stride. Now, is that ideal? No. Now, look at Family Fest at the Soldier Field the other night. He throws right. a beautiful fade corner out to Javon Wims over the shoulder. Wims outraises his guy, catches that ball with outstretched hands, and that's a touchdown. So it's not that he can't throw it. It's that he wasn't throwing that particular throw consistently. And most of the other throws that we saw, correct me if I'm wrong, were on target, on time, and on just literally where the receiver needed it to be to do something with it. 100%. And this is not a Javon Wims podcast, but <laughs> it could be. I am liking that guy so much right now. That guy's going to carve out a piece for himself. I have to I have to just tell you that that Cousins video I saw the same thing as you did. If you watch Cousins reaction, uh, I think Diggs was the intended target and comes down with it. And he Cousins hangs his head. 
He knows it's walks. a terrible throw. He knows it's a terrible ball. So it was just so funny that someone's like, oh, the deep game's on point. And it was like, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, no, that's a terrible throw. And Cousins knows it. Look at his body language. He's yeah. very upset. It was a heave. It was flat out was, a heave. That, if yeah, if a quarterback in high school threw that, I'm going to pull him aside as a coach and go, hey, you got lucky and you should buy your receiver dinner. But that was a heave. Don't do that again. So I want to I want to play this game. I know I don't think you want to. No, go I ahead. Play it. Okay. So today, mm-hmm. Ryan Pace calls you up and says, "EJ, the reason why we drafted Trubisky was because I read your article, and I need you to to field this call from these people and make a decision for me." So you're Ryan Pace for the day, and Andy Reid and whoever's the GM and. Kansas City, who I can't come up with off the top of my head, calls you up and says, we want Trubisky from a home straight up. Do you do it? Now? Sure. Right now. Absolutely. Okay. Because, okay. A, Nagy already has a relationship with Mahomes. Um, and Mahomes' physical ceiling uh, as a thrower, and it's passing league, is higher than Trubisky's. That's, I don't even think that's an arguable point. Um, Mahomes can do things with the football in his arm that I don't think anybody else in the NFL can do. And let me let me just make a comp because sure. this is a Chicago Bears podcast. Yeah. Mahomes is Javi Baez. <laughs> He's Javi Baez. I think is the most exciting baseball player that I've ever watched, and he makes the craziest throws. Sure, there are other baseball players that do that. He makes highlight reel tags. He makes highlight reel slides. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, when he bats, it's exciting. Everything that Mahomes does is kind of exciting as a quarterback because it's so different. He throws from different arm angles. And to me, he kind of has that like Javi Baez appeal to him. So uh, I'll give you one more, exciting. and it's for our, for our older listeners out there, um, like myself. <laughs> um, and it's a video that popped up uh, on Twitter again, uh, randomly. Again, I don't follow a ton of baseball. You certainly follow way more baseball than I do. But this is a baseball slash football player. And it was a throw from right field by Bo Jackson. Oh, yeah. And he takes a ball on a hop, guy rounding first base, and he, uh, there's no better word, unloads. Um, Bo Jackson had a had a right arm that was crafted straight from whatever god you believe in. Um, that ball is on a line, and it hits George Brett, who was playing first base, glove, um, so hard that you know the the sonic boom goes through the stands. He gets the guy by. 15 to 20 feet. The guy is 15 to 20 feet after he turned around from the bag. He's not even close. The ball gets to first base before he can even think about it. He just kind of gives up running. My favorite point of that play is George Brett looking at that ball like it was completely normal. Um, That ball was thrown (laughs) by an alien, and uh, Bo Jackson had a right arm that was just gifted. There's certain guys that have that snap, and Mahomes is a guy that literally from his back foot off a bad arm angle can throw 70 yards on a line and hit a guy in the numbers. There just aren't that many guys, no matter what you think about NFL quarterbacks, that can do that. There are very few people on the planet. Mahomes can do it consistently, so in terms of arm talent, I I don't think there's many people matching up with a combination of pure gun and accuracy. And again, now you're talking about the highlight um, arm angles and, and from being chased and over his shoulder and the whole bit. Like, he's got it all. So in terms of a thrower right now, I think Mahomes is pretty much unmatched in the NFL. All right, I want to ask you the same question. 
for Watson. So Bill O'Brien calls you up because I don't think there's a GM down in Houston right now. Mm-hmm. So Bill O'Brien calls you up and says, we really like Trubisky. We want to trade you Watson straight up. Do you do it today? Click. <laughs> I don't even take that. Don't do no, it. I don't even take that call. No. Okay. Uh, it's not that I think Watson's a bad player. I really don't. A lot of people think I'm anti-Watson, and and this is one of those those things that's that's not true. You can you can be pro Trubisky and not anti-Watson. I am not anti-Watson. Watson's had some trouble staying healthy. Is that his fault? No, I don't think it is. Is it indicative? It might be. That's a risk. And the other thing is, Watson had an incredible run his rookie year of four or five games historic run put up numbers that were unbelievable very very comparable to his run uh at clemson other than that when he's been healthy he's been good but he hasn't been amazing i think people are going to have a very different opinion of that valuation and that valuation is watson versus trubisky post this year if trubisky stays healthy and again, that's the caveat. If he stays healthy and he plays 15 or 16 games this year healthy, um, again, doesn't get dinged in a throwing shoulder or something like that, I'd be very interested as what as to what people think of Trubisky versus Watson at the end of the 2019 season. So here's an interesting thing for fantasy players. Mahomes going to be the first quarterback off the board. You have to ask yourself if you really want to spend that kind of premium pick. Okay, blah, blah, blah. We can get into that some other time. Watson's going... Not that far behind. He's probably QB4, somewhere around there. And Trubisky's QB22. Oh, man. That's not even and we might, funny. I know. It's ridiculous. That's not even funny. And so we might be talking at the end of the year about how Trubisky had a better season than Watson. And from a fantasy standpoint, geez, like, just wait and take Trubisky. Okay. I got two more. We can go through them a little quicker because these are sure. a little bit higher level. But because I'm covering two drafts. You bet. Would you trade... Trubisky and Roquan for Jamal Adams and Sam Darnold to the Jets? No. I would say Jamal Adams is fairly equal to Roquan in value. I I like Roquan's positional value a little bit better than Jamal Adams. Like you, I think Jamal Adams is a really good player. When it comes to Trubisky versus Darnold, I'll take Trubisky all day long. I think Darnold will have a pretty good career in New York. I don't think he will equal the heights of Trubisky, but that's just me. And again, the spot he landed in and how he's going to get supported or not. So that factors into it for me. I take Trubisky and Roquan. Okay. Now this one can't, couldn't have necessarily happened with the Bears draft capital versus the Browns, but I still want to ask the question. Sure. Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield for Trubisky and Roquan Smith. Uh, I do it. Okay. Yeah, I do it. And the reason is Miles Garrett has a much higher positional value than Roquan Smith. I love Roquan Smith. You know this. I right, actually right. correctly predicted the Roquan Smith pick and, and I'm thrilled about it. And and seeing him in camp this year, I was absolutely 100% right. He He's everything that I hoped he'd be and he looks to be growing and that's fantastic. So bear down, Bears fans. Roquan's awesome. Don't take this as anything except that. Miles Garrett is going to explode this year in Cleveland. He was held back by Greg Williams, who only allowed him to do two pass rushes, period, which is ridiculous for a guy with Miles Garrett talent. He is an otherworldly alien talent in terms of pass rushing. He's going to be one of the top pass rushers this year. And Mayfield, 
although I don't think overall necessary. The bottom line, he's a great quarterback. However you measure quarterbacks, leadership, confidence, the ability to make throws at big times, um, his running ability is fantastic, his toughness, his leadership. Um, we saw his ability to shotgun a beer the other night, which is tremendous. He bit the yes, can open. I mean, this is a Bears over Beers podcast. We need to talk about Baker. Baker Mayfield and beer for a minute. He bit the can open and shotgunned it in under four seconds. It's a pro move. That's sorry. That's a hall of fame shotgunning move. However, <laughs> the best, this is the best. And I will almost never quote, um, barstool, but, uh, PFT commenter said not shaking the label that the big 12 quarterbacks are too dependent on the shotgun, <laughs> which was a quality tweet, uh, despite the source. So miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield, I do it because I think Baker Mayfield is about what Trubisky is. And miles Garrett has a higher positional value. And I think a higher ceiling than Roquan Smith. So I do it. A couple points. I agree with you. I, I think I fell in love with Roquan at camp, but I, I'm going to give myself partial credit for predicting, predicting Roquan at the draft because I thought it was Quentin Nelson, mm. Uh, but he went two picks ahead, yep. and I said, well, it's Roquan as the backup. So I was, I'm going to give there myself partial credit. Sure. So redeeming myself. Yeah, absolutely. Learning from your mistakes. The other thing I want to mention is we don't want to throw a lot of shade at different people that will almost certainly never listen to us talk about Bears football. But there's a couple people that have come up on this podcast that I think we both agree that we just don't like. One of them is Dave Gettleman because oh, he's – I'll throw Absolutely shade at Gettleman. At I'll stand right up there. I'll, yeah. I will take those bullets. The other guy is Greg Williams. I think he's oh, like a Greg is, coach and does not deserve. Yeah, I think Greg is where John Fox was a couple of years ago in in a lot of ways. He he keeps thinking that he's elite. He keeps thinking that he is smarter than the rest of the NFL. He keeps thinking he has it figured out. And he's playing his deep safety 25 yards deep off the line of scrimmage. Um, And no matter how good your safety is, if you played Eddie Jackson 25 yards deep off the line of scrimmage, I'd say you didn't know what you were doing because the guy just can't make a play. It's too much yardage to come up and make a play on most plays. And yeah, those are a couple of guys I think that keep saying, trust us, believe in me, I got it. And when you look at the tape, they clearly don't. No, they're the worst. So those those guys are on our list. They're not welcome here. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's let's move ahead to year three. What to expect? Sure. So first things first, I expect Mitchell Trubisky to break the single season passing yards and passing touchdowns mark. Uh, we talked about that with Jonathan Wood. Yep. Those records are 38, 38 yards and 29 touchdowns by Eric Kramer, 1995. Yeah, agreed. I. Th- think he gets the 4,232. I think you're about the same. Yeah, I, I'm somewhere between 42 and 45 for yards, and uh, I think probably about 35 for touchdowns, 34, 35. So I'm, I'm probably a little lower. On the, I'm on the low end of where you're at anyway, and I think part of it is because I just think the defense is going to be really good, and I think that they're going to be taking the air out of the ball late in games and maybe not have to uh, you know, run up the score or fight, fight for sure. – getting the lead back late in game. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little lower than, than what you were at, but I that. think we're both in agreement that yep. he's going to be really good and, and rack up some numbers. Um, I think this is really the year to answer this question, but I want to, I want to at least ask it now and you can do with it what you want. And I'll, I'll give you my opinion, but sure. is he the franchise quarterback of the Chicago bears? Uh, I think he is. 
but I will go farther than think and say we'll know at the end of the year. And and that's just yeah. the acid test. If he does what we think he does, if he puts up 42 to 45 and 30 plus touchdowns with a with a reasonable number of interceptions, runs for I would say 2 to 300 extra yards this year as well and leads this team solidly towards a divisional championship uh, and the playoffs, uh, you know, gets a win in the playoffs and then, you know, sort of all bets are off after that. Maybe picks up two wins in the playoff. Who knows? Takes him to a Super Bowl. It's all possible. If he does what we think he's going to do, yeah, he's the guy. You you don't go looking for something after that. You've got it. You just work with the pieces around him. Yeah, I think Brett Coleman, who did a breakdown mm-hmm. of Trubisky earlier this year, he uh, was asked on Twitter to give kind of what's his floor and ceiling. Mm-hmm. And he answered by saying that Alex Smith was the floor and Steve Young was the ceiling. <laughs> and and I think of that and I think I, I can't disagree with with that statement. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy, he's not a Bears fan. This guy's a Texans fan. He, he, he breaks down film, does an excellent let's, job. Let's say, yeah, let's just give Brett some some kudos because he well deserves them. His his analysis is solid. He does really, really good work. Yeah, he has, he has nothing to gain by throwing extra praise at Trubisky is what I'm saying. Sure. Right, so, so people might think, oh, come on, Steve Young. Yeah, it's actually not that crazy. And Steve Young's one of those uh, examples of a guy that really improved from his early career and actually sat a ton behind another Hall of Famer and got that benefit mm-hmm. uh, sitting behind Joe Montana yep. after he was in Tampa and he was in, you know, the CFL or, you know, not the CFL, the USFL. Uh, uh, USFL. And so, you know, he, he had a weird path, but, you know, Trubisky's throwing as a starter game five of his rookie year. So, okay, there's that. But, I, I don't think that that's a crazy range to be in. And Alex Smith's a good football player. Yep. Alex Smith won a lot of games uh, in, in his career. He's a good quarterback, okay? Steve Young's an all-timer. He's yep. a Hall of Famer, won a Super Bowl. So if the truth is somewhere in between there, I think the answer you have to say the answer is yes right now if you had to, like, you told me I had to give you an answer. Right. But I completely agree with you in that – this is the year that we will know if he doesn't take that step. We're not gonna. It, it's, it's it's not gonna happen. But if he takes that step and puts up those numbers and leads this team to a lot of victories, leads them on a deep playoff run, the answer is yes, absolutely. We found our guy. Yeah, and I I think if he comes up fifty fifty, if he's at thirty eight hundred yards, and his interceptions and his touchdowns are much closer than we think they're going to be, if they start to kind of even get close to merging in the middle. And there are a few key games that he really costs the Bears, like quite frankly makes, like that throw Brady made in the AFC Championship, makes a terrible decision late and starts, you know, folding under pressure. But that's not what we've seen from him. And and Brett brought this up in his, in his film study was, hey, in the fourth quarter, this guy was nails. This guy made right. better decisions. He made good decisions. These are the things that give, should give you hope. But the bottom line is, look, he has to do it. That's that's absolutely the case. Um, so question for you. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm just going to ask you a question. Ad lib here. If Trubisky takes the Bears to the Super Bowl this year. Right. And they lose. He plays, he plays okay in Super Bowl, but he doesn't play well enough to win it. The team lets him down. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Bottom line, Trubisky takes the Bears to the Super Bowl this year, and they lose. Are you done being sour about the trade-up? 
<laughs> I, I, you know, I actually feel like I'm always going to think it was a dumb thing to do. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Just because, that's honest. just because, just because I didn't, I didn't understand at the time, and I still don't get it. Sure. Like I still don't get it when you've got. Yep. No, I, I like get it. Three that's guys a fair that I think thing are to pretty say. Close. It's not a logical it's, thing to say as a scientist, but it's a fair thing to say. Well, I, well, I think it is though. That's that's just <laughs> it. Is that it would be. Like the logic is what drives me to not like it is because right. of the valuation and knowing opportunity costs and knowing what else was on the table. So regardless of the results, there, right? Yeah. Regardless so, of the results, you're not going to like it. Well, because, well, that would be like, that would be the opposite of the scientific approach, right? Like that sure. would be like, well, but you are a bears fan and fandom is not scientific. I, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> okay. I mean, good enough. But the question if they win the Super Bowl, then, like, obviously, we're never bringing this stuff up again. <laughs> so he can't just get there. He's got to get there and win. Okay. Oh, yeah, you heard it here right? first, well, Bears fans. The one, only right? way Trubisky's want... off the hook is if he wins the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I, mean, I think I was... that's symptomatic of how people are yeah. judging Trubisky, right? Is that it, it really is all or nothing. Even at camp, I got this feeling that, like, he was playing really well. And first, in fact, the first couple of days, he, for the most part, not all, uh, there, you know, we've heard varied opinions. And there was a lot of people there, and you, you've seen a lot of the coverage. But, uh, you know, he played lights out football for the first day and a half that we were there really looked in command everything came in quickly obviously knew what he was doing ball was on time and on target like so so far removed from the inaccuracy the overthrows the 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 hustling and hurrying that we saw trying to get used to Nagy's offense in the first couple of games of year one like night and day difference and still the the about I'd say more than half of the conversation about Trubisky was, well, he's missing the deep ball, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, and it's yeah. like, did, did you see all the other things he did that good quarterbacks have to do? He's he's doing them. He's demonstrating. He's so much farther along. It was like, well, he overthrew that deep ball or he underthrew that deep ball, right? And it's like, come on, folks. That's a bit too tight of a filter. But, you know, what you said I think is realistic is – you know, there's so much expectation around this team. Chicago is so hungry and rightfully so for a winner that Trubisky's got to pretty much dial it. He can't do well, right? He can't just win the first playoff game, even though they didn't win the first playoff game last year, right? He's got to do markedly better than that. In some fans' minds, it's it is literally Super Bowl or bust. And look, only one team wins the Super Bowl every year, and it is a combination of luck and skill and everything else. It's very, very hard to do. So if that's your measure for Trubisky, you just have to admit it and and know that that's the case and know it is unlikely, just numerically, to happen. Well, I think, uh, let me get this. I feel like you've tried to box me into a corner here, and I'm not a big fan of this. Sure. Because I, the move is not anything to do with Trubisky. The move is pace, right? The move is 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 a uh, evaluation of how Ryan Pace maneuvered in the draft uh-huh. and how he evaluated the th- three quarterbacks and saying that one was so far above that I'm willing to give up these other picks. Uh-huh. That's my criticism. It has nothing to do with Mitchell Trubisky. And, and, it, and if you were, you know, we sat next to each other at camp, sure. you didn't see me criticizing nope. Mitchell Trubisky 
you know, to any sort of weird degree. I mean, I I'm, I'm behind him. I like the guy. I think he's got a lot of talent. I like watching him play. He's fun. Like I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I'm for him. So I'm just saying in terms of Ryan pace Mm -hmm. evaluation, not Mitchell Trubisky. I'm fine with Mitchell Trubisky and I think he's a good player and I think he's going to do really good for us. And I'm, I've been, I get asked every single week in those five questions columns that I do with the other team. I, I have to answer a Trubisky question every week. And I keep saying, like, we just don't have enough data to really answer that question yet. But he's been doing these things well. Like, I've, I'm always trying to a- answer those questions with somewhat of a diplomatic edge. But also, like, all of these fan bases think he's terrible because yeah. that's some for some reason what the national media has decided to push, yeah, probably because he wears navy and orange, right? Yep. And so, you know, I, I don't want listeners to go away thinking that jeff hates trubisky because that's not anywhere no, near that's not truth. that's not like true and i can vouch for that that you absolutely are not a trubisky hater um you're not an unqualified trubisky lover and that's fine because you're going to judge it by how you see it but you're not a you're not an unqualified hater the reason i bring it up is not to box you into a corner it's because of something i wrote in that trubisky article And it was at the end of the paragraph where I talked about trading up for him. In fact, it's the next sentence. And it says, the Bears need a quarterback to lead the franchise for the foreseeable future. And I believe Trubisky has the tools to be that player. Notice I didn't say I believe Trubisky is that player. I said I believe he has the tools to be that player. Because a lot of this turns out to be dependent on coaching. Now, the Bears are lucky enough to have gotten Nagy. So I think he has that coaching. And we'll see. The last line of the sort of intro to Mitch Trubisky is if he turns out to be that player, nobody will grouse about the price they paid to go get him. And I guess I'm wrong. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess I'm wrong. Somebody will still grouse about the price, but if he wins the Super Bowl, maybe not, I guess is the caveat there. And I wasn't, I wasn't quite confident enough to say that pre-draft. So there is that. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that even though I may like that argument and think that that argument is fair to make um if they win the super bowl no one wants to listen to that argument that <laughs> nobody's gonna that, listen to me bitch right? about this i still think it's a fair argument i get it i get like, it you know that that that's because that's how you come that's sure. how you see the world that's how you sure. you know i get it you evaluate things back so that, that's kind of yeah it, and i think that's fair all right how'd you do on your beer i think i drank three ounces Oy, that's not good it's I, I know you like, like beer, so yeah, I just don't like the 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 really bitter aftertaste. Yeah. And I know this isn't like a like a double IPA oh, yeah. craziness thing or anything either. It but like it's just it's just not my thing. And I didn't really okay. taste any you know overwhelmingly fun or good flavors either. So okay, I I can buy that, and I appreciate you trying it. I do. Uh, so mine um, is a very acquired taste. I will say. Um, if you like red wine, if you like extremely heavy, and I mean heavy not in the sort of stout or heavy porter kind of, but heavy alcohol, heavy sensation, um, heavy flavor type of beer, you might be a fan of this beer because it is all of that. This thing this thing comes on full force uh, from the beginning and doesn't really let up. Um it got more enjoyable as I went towards the bottom of it, and that's probably the 9.9% alcohol talking, because um, I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of red wine. But it is a very complex and very 
interesting beer, much like this argument, right? There are so many facets to, to this conversation we just had and so many things that could change. And the same with this beer. If you left it on the shelf and let it ferment even farther, if I'd left this for a year or two, like they suggest, that thing would have been uh, lethal. It would have been just tremendous, possibly overwhelming. I, I was able to finish it. Um, would I want more than one ever in a row? I don't think I would, but I really appreciate there the, that there's people out there taking chances and making beers that they know that not everybody's going to like, but some people are going to love. And, and maybe that's a pretty good analogy for Trubisky. Yeah, that's a good way to end it. You want to get us out of here? Absolutely. So you can follow Jeff at Gridironborn on Twitter. You can follow me at the Draftsman FB. Of course, the podcast itself is at Bears Over Beers, and I'll post uh, the original Trubisky scouting report on there. Uh, maybe a picture of a beer if I if I get really uh, ambitious. Uh, in the meantime, we've got a couple more shows before the season starts. It's creeping right up on us. Preseason obviously has already kicked off uh, for the NFL, so it's coming really quickly. But we've got some more good content uh through the summer so go ahead and follow us continue to follow us on twitter we'll be following up with the folks we met at camp um we were able to meet a lot of bears twitter there which was a lot of fun um share some meals and some opinions with them which was great so keep following us there and until then keep it locked keep it on windy city gridiron for coverage of camp uh lester was there today did a great wrap up uh and until then it's coming bears fans get ready and bear down